What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO Project, the MFCEO.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by FMF. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got Andrew Hopson, better known as Hoppo. Andrew, how's it going? Good, how are you? Hey, not doing too bad. I'm doing great, actually. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon, and uh, the work week is done. And uh, now I get to talk about motocross and uh, a guy that uh, has a long lineage in, uh, in making those things go fast. Uh, but for those who don't know uh, Andrew Hopson, or Hoppo as you're uh, affectionately known as, uh, what are the nuts and bolts? Give us the, the Coles notes on who the heck uh, is on the other line with me here. Uh, well, basically, I was born in Australia. I lived in Australia up until I was... 22. I came to the U.S. 22 years old. Worked for started to work at Pro Circuit. Uh, Mitch hired me as a cone pipe builder in R&D. Um, I built uh, pretty much every two-stroke cone pipe from '94 till the end of 2000. Uh, every stand pipe, any pipe that you would have seen with Ricky on a 125, 250, LaRocco, Kudrowski, McGrath. Um, any of those guys that PC was sponsored in those times, if there was a cone pipe, I built it. So wow. that's kind of, there was a lot of metal, no <laughs> a kidding. lot of metal and, and a lot of dyno time. Tons of dyno time. And we'll kind of get into some of the numbers, uh, and whatnot after that. But, uh, um, so like you're, you're working at PC and obviously you're still in the United States now. And I think you went back to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Australia for a short bit. But uh, um, after the year of 2000, where did you head after that? And uh, um, uh, like what, like if, if you could just kind of get like give us a, a quick little over overview of uh, of where you headed after that. Uh, at the end of 2000, I was hired by Cliff White to go to American Honda, and they had given the 125 team to Factory Connection with Ziggy. So myself and Dan Bentley uh, put that team together, hired riders, hired mechanics. Uh, We did all the engine development in-house, ground cylinders, um, built the pipes, um, and kind of ran it technically from American Honda. And, you know, it progressed from where it is today, um, which, you know, also in that period, you know, we went from two strokes to four strokes. Uh, we also, you know, did some 252 stroke stuff with Ricky and Tortelli and LaRocco. Um, Lusk was there. Um, and then at the end of 2004, I went back to Australia for roughly 12 years. I had a company called Axis Motorsports. It was basically, you know, version of what PC did here. Uh, we sold PC and FMS stuff. Um, didn't really build too many pipes there until the end when, you know, the pre-95 stuff come around and guys couldn't get pipes or they just wanted something cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of 2016, I come back to Geico Honda and somewhat did a similar job to what I'd done there and, you know, worked with the 18 and yeah, so that's kind of where it's up to today. Fair enough. So Geico Honda hires, uh, Jeremy Martin and Hoppo shortly thereafter. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's where we sit now. Um, so yes. let's, let's spin the clocks back though. Let's, let's go back to where, uh, someone would develop enough passion for the sport of motocross to want to chase it across 
an ocean and um, like where, where, where does like your earliest days of enjoying two wheel exhilaration and obviously uh, like most uh, people who end up working on these things, they were riders first. What's your story? Um, I guess, you know, my dad worked in a motorcycle shop pretty much all my younger life up until probably around 12 or 14. So I always had motorcycles, always ridden them. Um, and, you know, I guess at one stage I crossed over to where, you know, I could work on these. Um, I had a, I always wanted to do MotoGP or, or 500GP back then in the road race. And I was always intrigued by cone pipes and never really thought, you know, how to do it or research it from back then. But it wasn't until a friend of mine, Dave Feeney, who works for Osborne, um, came across here and, and worked for Tony Radio. And I come across for six or eight weeks, traveled with him in a box fan, you know, got to know Mitch and Bones a little bit. And, you know, one conversation led to another. And he said, well, if you get yourself back over here, you got a job. And um, so I was working in a steel mill at, steel mill at the time because I was a machine fabricator by trade. And it's like, all right, well, I'm going to take this. I mean, I took a massive pay cut from what I was. <laughs> but it was something that I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, like I said, it, that went from, <laughs> you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week trying to learn how to build cone pipes and, um, you know, took it from there. So, you know, and, and back in those days, I mean, you know, Mitch would do factory Yamaha, factory Cowie, Suzuki, you know, Honda was the only one that we had never really done apart from Honda or Troy uh, with those guys and then, you know, Manchester Honda with Bradshaw. So, um, you know, there, there was a lot going on there. No kidding. There's the, there's like 10 storylines there that we could go down right now, but I guess, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like seriously, we might have to do a hop of uh, 2.0 uh, as far yeah, as, uh, what's that? That's fine. We can do that. Oh yeah, we absolutely. I, I I think we at this point I think we already have to. Uh, but um, like like working with Mitch, I don't think at any point uh, he hasn't been uh, kind of I wouldn't say a difficult guy to work for, but he is a uh, you guys. He's a guy that demands uh, the basically the same input out of his employees as he's willing to do out of himself, and he's capable of a lot of hard work himself. So uh, what was it like? Uh, stepping into a job with a guy who uh, really knows what he wants, and um, yeah, like tell me a little bit about your early I mean, it, times. It, it was, I mean, again, it was tough as well. I mean, like I, I came here and I was twenty two, twenty three, and you know, I left my family, and you know, I didn't really know anybody. Um, I, I was lucky that there were some good guys around, like you know, Dave Feeney and Ali Simar, because Ali was at PC at the time, so him and I become pretty friendly. But you know, once those guys were were on the road. They were in box fees in those times, so they were gone for weeks on end. So I would just be in the in the press at a race shop by myself, just trying to pound out pipes. And then, you know, it was a little surreal at time when you know it's like, hang on, I mean, I only have seen these guys in magazines. You know, Mitch is there. You know, he's walking through the shop, and then McGrath would come through, and you know, uh, Kudrowski, and it's like you're a little starstruck at some time. I didn't want to speak because I had a pretty sick Australian accent and I knew a lot of different to extent. Uh, but not I mean, like now, demanding. Not, not nearly as thick as now. No, probably not as thick as now, no. But, <laughs> um, but I mean, Mitch was, you know, he worked hard and, and, and played hard and, and he, you know, he, I don't, he was one of the best bosses I've probably had. He was a hard man in, in the time. I mean, there was no jacking around, but if you stayed, if, you know, if you had to stay late, 
he was right there with you until the lights went off. You know, he never he never cut out early. I mean, he was as passionate as anybody or more. You know, he always thought, you know, whatever we learn today, we can start tomorrow with. And you know, that was always what he 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 stuck by. That's that's so. really interesting. And yeah, like a guy who uh, there's often like they always talk about like how he was is a demanding guy to work for, but at the same time, like I think you're totally right. Like he was so passionate about it and like he just basically expected uh out of those around him that which same was he was willing to give and that's that's really uh kind of a testament yeah. to uh how how dominant the the pro circuit brand was in through uh, especially through the 90s and in, into the 2000s and uh so working alongside him uh with the uh those awesome uh, actually I guess you would have gotten there just as uh, Mitch was switching to Kawasaki's um, who are some of the guys, like what, what was some of your jobs working like in the race shop week to week? Obviously you're making pipes. Um, like, was it specifically production based or like, a uh, you know, like the, basically the, uh, the, a stamp pipe Were you working mostly, uh, cone pipes? Like what were kind it, of the, the, um, the ropes? It, that, that all really, you know, like I said before, Mitch is kind of the guy, you know, he was the one that come in and said, I want this. So whether he would go to the race and. Rick Astro and Cow would go, hey, we want to try another pipe. So, you know, a stamp pipe would turn up and Mitch would say, you know, change change the center section and rebuild the anchor and this is what I want and get it to Rick. And then the same, you know, with, um, you know, Bob Oliver from Yamaha, same thing. Hey, we want to try this. And then, you know, sometimes you'd build them from scratch, flat metal, or you'd take stamp pipes and cut them up and, and do whatever. Um, again, the same with Suzuki, you know, 125s or, or 250s. It just depended. It, it all depended on what went happened on the weekend or what conversation Mitch had with some of those guys. And then that would just come down to, hey, we're going to build this. You know, between, you know, building the pipes and then running them on the dyno, then I would go to Glen Helen every Thursday and ride them as well. So, that you know, that was a good, that was a good job at the time. I mean, you got paid on... Friday, but you rode all day Thursday, and you and you rode everything that you built. Um, so you know that was that was some really good experience back then. No kidding, and yeah, like you said, you're right in the meat of your twenties, uh, living in Southern California and working at uh, what would become a very historic race shop, uh, and still is today. Um, so, like, what was the learning curve for you like, and, and what was some of like the the earliest prin- principles you're putting into practice when building a pipe, when going to the dyno? Uh, what was the school of thought that you were kind of stumbling across and, and, and developing? Uh, because obviously, uh, like, uh, you're pretty green and, and uh, Mitch has his own um, way of wanting how he wants a pipe to build. But at the same time, you're learning and developing uh, your own knowledge. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Mitch and I had a good relationship there and, and we both had a, 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 a bond on the shape. Here he'd smoke me building a pipe. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, because he couldn't do them and he wanted to. Um, look, shape, shape and radiuses were and were always the, the key. You know, like he would, you know, he, it's a two part attack, right? He gives you the drawing, you got to make it fit. And then, you know, depending on what diameters or angles he has, you know, that changes the cuts all the time on, on how it 
your radius has come to fit the bike. Okay. And some of them get tough. I mean, like you get into a 250 pipe, you know, it takes 250 or whatever. I mean, you're talking around 1,100 millimeters of, of metal that you've got to wrap around that bike and you've got to make sure that the tires don't hit the head pipe they come out, that, you you know, the across the bottom's not below the frame rails, um, the head pipe doesn't hang out too far and you smash it every time you hit a rut. Um, you know, you've got to take all that stuff into account and especially... You know, cone pipes, everyone wants a cone pipe because they look cool. <laughs> yeah. That's that's awesome. But, you know, the downside of cone pipes is they're not as strong. They're actually weaker. Yeah. Because they're thinner material and there's so many welds. Yeah, so many And they're welds. so prone to cracking. And, you know, so there is some downsides. But at the end of the day, when one's done right, they look pretty cool. Everyone just has like, God, i got to have one of those. And just because the cone pipe <laughs> doesn't mean it works because I built more that didn't work <laughs> than did work. Fair so, enough. you know, uh, it's just trial and error. I mean, like I said, Mitch was smart. He had his own little trends and what he thought always, what the what the cylinder liked or what the engine liked. Um, you know, you went from there and, you you know, we go, man, this is the one. You dine out and you go, what are you thinking? All right. And then, you know, you just hack it up and start cutting and then just basically throw it in the trash. Wow. And that's what it took. Um, I mean, there was no magic formula. There was no magic computer programs that said, hey, this is the pipe. You know, I've seen all that stuff on the internet and, you know, it just, oh, I've never seen it work, put it that way. I mean, like I said, about the KX125s on everything that we built, I mean, it was just, it's a black art. You've got to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Um, yeah, and he was pretty good about always trying to beat the pipe from this year on the KX125 and then sell that pipe for the next year because he knew it was a good pipe. I mean, he was always good about that. You know, he always had a, a, a you know, he always wanted two horsepower across the board. It was always the goal if we could get it. Never always achievable. Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. But, you know, there, there's a lot of heart and soul went into a lot of those pipes that, that we built back in those days. For sure. The, 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 the essence of trial and error, the, uh, um, like just the, the time it takes to, to, uh, to put that practice, uh, into, into order is basically, um, it's, it, there's, there's something to be said for it. Um, I, I, it's kind of like almost like a sidetracked, uh, thought of mine. I'd noticed a huge change in the shape and belly and diameter of, t- of pipes going from the late eighties, early nineties to the mid nineties where the pipes started looking more like what we see today. Why is that? Especially with the two fifty two stroke? Um, a lot of that comes from power valves, bore and stroke, you know, transfer timing and then obviously how far they rev. Okay. Um, you know, you, you go back to like an air cooled two fifty or four ninety in those areas. I mean they didn't rev very far. They were usually, you know, their bore and strokes weren't like they were today. So and the ignitions as well. You know, everything's a revolution. Um, I mean, you look at some of the diameters that are in some of these KTM 65s and you go, man, how, you know, how do they work? But, you know, they, they rev to 15,000 or whatever it is. I haven't done one in a long time. But, you know, a lot of it has to do with rev. And then, you know, again, you go look at some early GP stuff, you know, 125s or 250s and their diameters and how short they were to get the rev because they didn't need the bottom or the middle. Somewhat, they need the middle to get out the turns, but the rev, you know, they went to 16,000, 17,000. Well, you've got to have the volume, and they've got to be short to make it rev, as opposed to something that, you know, a motocross where the pipe needs to be a little longer, and, you know, so you've got more bottom out of the turns. You know, two different characteristics of pipes, but, okay. you know, the shape. Mm. So. 
Yeah, that was the first thing that I kind of noticed when I like when I'm looking at like further, further back with pipes, I, I noticed the the diameter, especially in and around the power valve uh, era gets completely different. And then uh, like in through the, the mid 2000s, a lot of the or like mid 90s, early 2000s, all the pipes started to look very, very similar as far as kind of the characteristics or, or the the I guess what you're looking for as far as what's going to work. Um, so. Uh, it's often been said the uh, the 2000 or the 1997-98 Kawasaki 125. Um, I, I think uh, um, Ch Chad Watts said it best when you guys had the task of making uh, chicken salad out of chicken shit. Is that is that kind of uh, hitting the nail on the head or what? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was that was pretty bad. I mean, I don't know how much you can go into. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a good motorcycle. Yeah, so like, if, anyone's, so, if anyone's still got one now, yeah, I still remember those days. No kidding. Uh, I used and, to uh, weld. I used to weld two pound of metal to the frame to stop it bending, and then we'd add another pound of powder coat. We added three pounds to the frame just to get it around the track. Wow. But I mean, I mean, I think is what I explained. You know, I think that year, um, you know, Mitch had ground like forty cylinders. I'd had like fifty or sixty pipes. We had a hundred and something head combinations. I, don't, I can't. I think we had like six transmission combinations. I mean, we had everything. We had Honda intakes grafted in there. We had, uh, you know, anything that you could think of that you could either a machine, b fabricate. We did it. Wow. Yeah, I so, mean, we uh, granted we uh, granted you know now we don't have the abilities of you know some of the technologies like coatings or you know the titaniums and and all that sort of stuff, the REM finishes and all that that, that everyone does now. Uh, you know, we didn't have those luxuries. Well, yeah, that's cool. Like uh, Before we got on, the, sh on the, the pod, you kind of talked a little bit about some of the numbers of, of how many times you'd go to the dyno uh, room to, to work on these things, and specifically the, the, like that era uh, of, uh, of KX-125, of course, known best for uh, being piloted by uh, one Ricky Carmichael. Uh, when that mm -hmm. kid walks into the uh, the shop for the first time, I'm sure, were, were you starstruck at a 15-year-old at a or no? Uh, and uh, what was it like uh, building a pipe for that kid? Um, I've still got one in my, on my desk that uh, I had a deal with Ricky every time because he wanted a cone pipe. Like, he thought that was cool. Of course. So I had a deal with Ricky that every time he won a race, I'd build him a cone pipe. So Mitch is like, yeah, 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 no worries. So we all shook. Well, three nationals in, Mitch goes, yeah, we can't keep doing this. <laughs> so he re I've got one still that he won nine races with, and I've still got that one, and he signed it, but it's all rusted now. So, but, but no, he, you know, he was good. I mean, you know, that 97 year, I mean, you know, how times have changed. You know, you look 21 years on. I mean, apart from the, the mag covers and a piston, okay, I didn't get a KHI piston in that thing. Mag covers and maybe a shifter or something on there, maybe something else from Cowie, some tie, everything you could buy over the counter. Right. Yeah. I mean that that's that's it. That's that's what it was. You know the pull rods, the foot pegs. Um, well, he ran kit stuff. We had that KYB kit stuff back then, so that was all available. It wasn't until the year after when he got work stuff. After he won the, in '98, he got work stuff for outdoors. Hmm. You know, then it changed a little bit. But you know, apart from the mag covers, everything else what you could buy over the counter at PC. Wow. So like, and of course, uh, like, uh, Thursdays you're heading out to, uh, the track with, uh, with a guy like Chad Watts. What was it like working with some of the mechanics 
earliest in the seasons. Uh, I'll be curious. You mentioned those guys go, are leaving uh, to do uh, with the the box fans, but they're they are back at the race shop a fair bit as well. Uh, who are some of the mechanics you worked closely with, and uh, how did they help you kind of uh, communicate what you needed to do to build a, a proper pipe to, to to meet the demands of those top flight riders? Uh, they, I mean, the mechanic is, you know, it was all Mitch that pretty much called all, you know, would talk to them. I mean, they would come by. They actually all hated me because I made so much noise in the aisle next door because I would pound on metal all day. <laughs> so I was never their favorite guys at some of the time. Uh, but they were all pumped when we made power or we won races, you know, again, it's always a team effort and, you know, there was no standouts. But, you know, I did work with Chad and Chad Watts and, you know, there was Dave Feeney. I can't remember a, a lot of them now. James Coy, um, Sean Ulikowski, that you know we won a championship with him. Preston at, at uh, Factory Connection. So there's a there's a lot of guys that all graced there. I mean, there was guys that stuck by there. There was guys that didn't last long. It wasn't for them, you know. It was it was a very demanding environment at the time, but everyone wanted to win, and you know we did whatever it took. For sure, Brent and, and, Myron. Yeah. And, and motocross is a sport, uh, like all races, only one winner can come out. And, and when you got four guys on the team, uh, you're going to have four me- three mechanics that uh, the rider didn't win. But uh, um, So you're with PC right up until the year 2000. Ricky goes on to 252 strokes in 99 and 2000, wins the mm-hmm. outdoor title, uh, of which uh, you probably uh, were asked to make a few cone pipes for that thing. Um, yeah. Like, uh, yep. w- what was the transition like? Uh, like, obviously, like it was later in your career with PC and also uh, RC uh, ripping up the KF- KX two fifty two stroke, which didn't go so great in ninety uh, nine for Supercross. Yeah, I mean, a- again, you know, you had Rick Ash down there at Cowie, um, so you know he would talk to Mitch more so, and then um, you know, a- again, it-, it was pretty much Mitch that was calling the shots on what to build. And then I would just build what he asked and, you know, we'd talk about it and, you know, maybe this, maybe that, you know, in, and I always felt bad for him in some way because, you know, he never ever seen an inside of Cowie 250 engine, right? So he was always just shooting in the dark on what to build. Well, I built this last time, um, you know, you can only do so much to the cylinder. I'll try this as where, where we did the Suzuki stuff uh, with our team, with Roger okay. and Ian, um, you know, we had everything. We had the blueprints from Japan. We had ev- we had everything we needed to make that bike do whatever. So, you know, that were the differences in between, you know, the two companies. So, and the same with Yamaha. We never ever dined out of Yamaha. I don't know. I don't think Mitch ever seen a cylinder again. It was just like, well, here's our rack pipe. Tell me what you think, and I'll make a change from there. So that that was usually how it went on all those brands. And, okay. and the same with Honda or Choi. You know, we, we we would do their cylinders, and we would dyno days. And knock out a couple of pipes and they go try them and then, you know, go from there. I mean, the, the, the problem with cone pipes is on a team like Honda or Troy or even our team, you know, once it works, you've got to build multiples, right? Yeah. You know, and like I said, you know, in a 125 pipe that's pounded and nice and everything's done, you know, you're eight to 10 hours of work from flat metal. So, you know, there's, there's four days gone if you've got four guys on the team. <laughs> so, um Again, time-consuming, but that's the only way that you can change the spec to, to try and find more power. Fair enough. So, like, uh, with Suzuki in, like, 97, 98, um, were you – and, of course, McGrath switches to Suzuki in 97. Uh, were you able <laughs> – were you guys able to, to do some magic with that motor? Or I, I think uh, maybe some not nice things were said about it at some point. Uh, um, well, I, 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 I – 
No. Uh, I remember standing in the doorway, the roller door at PC, and I was talking to Mitch, and Jeremy rolled in, and he had a cell phone back then. Oh. And there was a few words said, and he, along the lines of, screw those guys, I'm going to Suzuki. And Mitch looked at me, and I looked at him, and I never took a day off for six weeks, up until day one. All I did was RM250. So, you know, I built a lot of pipes and a lot of dyno work. And th- and that was the start of Mitch and, and Roger and, and Suzuki, you know, doing a collaboration with engines and, and pipes. Um, Suzuki Japan didn't really have too much there. I d- they weren't ready for that caliber of guy, I don't believe. Okay. And, and by no means anything that I'm saying is either bad on anybody, but, you know, Jeremy had come from, you know, HRC and, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on there where I don't think Suzuki was quite ready for that. And Mitch didn't have that infrastructure to take that on too much either. But, you know, we did a lot of work and, you know, he only lost it by what, a point or two. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and I think I had a, a flat tire at one of the, one of the supercrosses. So, uh, could have been, could be talking about eight time, uh, supercross champion, uh, um, yeah. uh, Jeremy McGrath, but, uh, throughout your, your career at PC, uh, not only are you working for, uh, getting, getting, uh, race pipes together, but also, uh, some, some pretty iconic uh, production pipes that were pipes to beat production pipes. Uh, Things that come to mind would be the, the 97 uh, CR 250, which I'm sure rattled your teeth out while you're trying to dyno it. Uh, Are there any bikes Mm -hmm. that kind of stood out to you uh, that still stand out to you as uh, bikes that you either enjoyed working on ones that were tough to beat as far as uh, the the stock bike was concerned or ones that were just in there? Yeah, I mean, Honda stuff was typically probably always the hardest to to get a good pipe all the way around. Um, okay. The, probably always took the, the longest. Yamahas were always easy. Um, Suzuki's were, yeah, either way. Um, one story, we had a pre-pro Suzuki. Yep, this is it. This is production. Like, great. Mitch had a cylinder. We built a pipe. It worked. They didn't sell that production bike. They changed it. And we'd done everything, cylinders, pipes. We had to go back and redo everything. Perfect. Um, I, I guess probably, you know, I always remember Jody Weisel. He had this, I think it was a 98 KX 250. And in that year, they made 49, 50 horsepower out of the creek. And he brought this thing in and he wanted to re-dyno and had done a whole season of the VMXA wreck, wrecking crew. And I put the thing on the dyno and it still made 50 horsepower. And the gear lever was like then off and the clutch lever fell off. And, you know, that was a damn good bike. Yeah. Hmm. That was probably one of the better 250s that, you know, made good power. Okay. Uh, and, we, like, uh, specifically the, the Honda, like, um, when, like, the, when the Honda comes out with the, the, the 250 aluminum frame, was there, like, was, was the, the engine much changed as well? Or, like, when it comes to, like, a brand new engine, uh, what are some of the ways to tackle uh, a situation like that, or because like obviously some seasons uh, they change completely. Sometimes there's very minimal changes. Uh, like what what's the thought process there? Um, depending, I mean, like the first thing you do, you know, it, it would all depend. Um, you know, usually all the magazines would get the bucks first. So you know, Mitch was always tight with, with Jody, so Jody would probably drop it around, and you'd run it on the dyno and and get some of those numbers. You know, we'd, we'd pull the pipe off and we'd both measure it and see, you know what it is, how different it is to last year. Um, depending whether you could get the, the head off and, and degree the engine real quick to see what's going on there. Um, and then, you know, 
that would be your preliminary, your dyno it. Um, see if last year's pipe would fit and maybe try and hang that on there real quick. See if that, you know, is it going to make a difference or do we need to go rework it or do we just need to make some small changes here or there, okay. change the stamp or the length or something like that. Um, and that's typically how you did it. I mean, you know, there was a couple there where, you know, it took a long time to, to get them done. Um, you know, the turnaround time on a pipe was probably about two to three weeks. Uh, Ross from Ross Liberty from Factory Pipe, uh, he does all the OEM, Articat, and Sea-Doo, and Bombardier, all that, all that um, Snowmobile and Warcraft stuff. He, he's the one that stands all the pipes. So uh, by the time you, you, know, you, you get a spec and you're happy with it, you've done it, you've ridden it, and you've got to go back and build a master, as you call it, and that's the one they turn it into a stamp, and then it goes to the pro-circuit pipe shop, and then they'll make a jig and you know, whatever length they want and, and go from there. So that was simply how it was done. Um, if it was something that was completely new and you had no idea, um, you know, you might go get some Suzuki stamps, you know, or some Cowie pipes or stamps, whatever you want to call them, and make those fit. And there's, you know, just start throwing stuff at the wall like that to see what it does. And so, yeah, that was kind of the train, the sort of train, or train sort to do all that stuff. Fair enough. So then, like uh, that being said, when it when it comes to um, like designing a pipe uh, or trying uh, trying to to beat a stock pipe, um, what would be the the kind of mission uh, or what's the, what's the goal really? Like obviously more horsepower, but uh, you also want certain characteristics in that horsepower and, and how the power curve looks. Um, like so, what was kind of the the school of thought when it comes to like building? Uh, the optimal pipe for, uh, say, your average rider. Obviously, there's riders that have personal preference as to where they want the power. Um, but uh, when it comes to like something that the the masses can use, uh, what was the school of thought there? Uh, same thing. Dyno it, see what it does, take it out, ride it. You know, again, depending on who owns the bike, what magazine, or if it, if a customer does have one and, and PC hadn't bought one yet, you go ride it, evaluate it. You know, and go, well, look, this, this thing's soft off the bottom, but it revs to the moon. Okay, well, we need to build a pipe with more bottom to try and maintain the top. You know, the other train of thought. So, obviously, then lengths, you know, come into play and diameters and, and volume to, you know, to try and bring that back. Um, you know, I remember like that 98, 99 CR250 never really made big power um, when you dynoed it, yet when you rode it, it was that aggressive and abrupt. You go, well, man, this thing only makes, you know, three horsepower or something but you know my arms have, have left the body because it's, it's explosive out of the turn you know so something like that you try and mellow it out and you know maybe get a little more peak because you know people always went back and you know someone had a dyno somewhere they go oh this thing's not good it doesn't make any power or, or whatever you know which was always constantly against that sort of stuff fair enough so uh, the the two th- year two thousand rolls around and uh, you switch jobs and um, you, you take on a new position. Uh, like you said, Cliff White approaches you and you find yourself at what we now know as Geico Honda, which was then um, uh, Factory Connection Honda with uh, none other than Mike LaRocco, who uh, later mm-hmm. on the following year, who I think was uh, being wrenched for Paul Delorier, would uh, would yep. ride the, uh, uh, the 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 mighty. 450 from Honda. We'll get at that into a little bit, but uh, what was the like? How did you get coaxed over there? Uh, what was that transition period for you like? And um, obviously, for the most part, you're still looking at two strokes. 
Uh, but how, like, uh, yeah, we can get into four strokes in a second, but yeah, how, what was that transition like for you? Uh, the, the transition was good. I mean, there was a good bunch of guys and, and like I said, I'd, I'd always had a goal to work there. I don't, you know, I'd always been, uh, you know, a Honda fan as, as a kid and, you know, I, I, I loved Roger back in the day and, you know, there was Ricky Johnson. It's like, man, that's the place to be. Um, and, you know, as I worked through PC and, and got to know more people and then, you know, people seen your work, um, you know, and it was like, hey, we're going to do this 125 team in-house. And, you know, so I started talking to actually, actually Ron Wood from Tokyo Mods was the one that started instigating the whole thing. And then obviously it come down to Cliff. And um, I think Jim Anderson was friends with Cliff as well, and I knew Jim quite well because I rented an apartment off him. So that's how that could all um, transpired. I mean, obviously, you know, you walk into that meeting room in there, and there's you know number you know there's fifty odd number one plates in there on the wall, which makes you think I was a part of some of those. Um, I mean, the, the hardest part about that place was the driving the freeway down there. Um, but you know, the, in that in those walls there's 20, 30 years of history. So it was, um, you know, the first day I walked in there, there's all these old CR480 engines still on the shelf. It says don't use wrong colour and, you know, don't use these bolts. And, you know, all that stuff is still hanging there. Some of that stuff still is there. It's kind of cool to look at. Um, you know, the amount of billet CNC parts or mag or tie, you know, back in the late 70s and early 80s on, you know, some of those works bikes. It's still quite cool to pick those parts up and look at them. Oh, for sure. Like, this is, uh, this is like, uh, walking into uh, the like some of the most historic um, like is when motocross for all intents and purposes is actually quite young as far as the sport goes like this would be like walking mm-hmm. into the locker room of the uh, uh, the Green Bay Packers or uh, like the the All Blacks if you want to go rugby or somewhere along those lines mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like this is this is the pinnacle and and you walk in there because uh, y- your knowledge and your your ability to build a motorcycle. Uh, to the best of your ability is, is something that needs to be uh, shared with the uh, with HRC. Um, so, uh, like, what were your responsibilities uh, right off the get go, and uh, and how well did you kind of start to mesh with the, those around you and uh, start making some horsepower? Uh, well, uh, and the first day I walked in there, um, Ali Seymour was walking out because Kevin had left, left left Honda and went to Suzuki. So, and Ali had been met. Myself and Ali have been friends for years, so we high-fived each other. And so, because we ever, never, never really worked together um, for a long period of time. So, you know, Ali was a good friend, but he he walked out as I walked in. Yeah. Um, again, you know, probably surreal. Again, you walk in there, there's Cliff. Um, you know, and all the road race guys we were, we were all in the same building at the time. You had Miguel Miguel Hamill in there, and Nicky Hayden was there. So. You know, there was a thrive of activity in that place and we all had to share the dino room. And so it's some close quarters, but again, you know, picked up the CR125 and um, Dan and I just started working away and just, again, it was a circle that never stopped. Um, a pipe this week, a cylinder that next week, or you test the week after and, you know, Japan might send something, you know, try this, try that. Was, you know, back in those days, HRC was gone. It was HGA that, that did everything. So HRC, it's only been the last five, six years that HRC has been back involved. Right. Um, so there wasn't a lot, um, you know, there wasn't a lot available on that 125 project at all. Pretty much everything was done in-house. Same thing, you know, everything I learned from Mitch, we tried to do there, you know, whether it was Yamaha intakes or long rods or, or whatever it took, whatever we could source or the budget would allow, um, you know, when the 
250 came out with that electronic power valve. I took that system and we put it on the 125 and we ran it for a little while with burner. Um, and then they did a production. It, you know, it, it kind of helped and it didn't, but it, we had too much wattage in the in the flywheel and to make it run, you know, for the gains we were looking for controlling the valve. So, right, because th- those that era of CR125, uh, as far as the production bike and and what like myself and my friends would have been riding, um, those years wasn't known for for puking out a, a ton of power and, and being a real potent. Uh, race bike on race day how much of a challenge was that for you were you kind of back in the same situation you were in 97 with the cowie or was it even was it better than that uh it was probably a little it was better than the cowie um but still it was just something you know it was always you know the, the ktms were kind of coming on the scene and you know they're pretty strong into europe you know mitch always had a good package and he had brownie at that time that was you know just a machine and then Bubba as well. So, you know, you you always thought you were behind the eight ball. Um, but, you know, the riders we had as well, I mean, they did the best. You, you know, they, every rider was up and down, whether it was Ryan Mills or, you know, Preston won a Supercross championship. He struggled a little bit outdoors because he was so big. But, you know, he had some talent. Um, you know, again, it probably was just one of the – you just – you couldn't stop. You always just had to write your notes down on the plane on the way home and, all right, I'm going to try this. Um, and then, you know, the, those engines got to the point where they were they were so far hand-touched that, you know, to duplicate them was just a week's worth of work, you know. For sure. Or the, you know, the Bondo in the cases and you have to weld cases because they'd crack. Um, you know, the long rods and the cylinders with, you know, special valves. You know, try, you know, just trying to make it like a Yamaha, as good as the Yamaha was in production. You know, fair enough. Same thing as right now. Everyone's still, everyone's chasing the new Yamaha nineteen two fifty. Um, so nothing's <laughs> changed. Um, mm. You've been you've been at the same position for almost twenty years, and, and you you you're found yourself in the same same spot. But well, um, you, I had this conversation with someone the other day. It's like you'd think they'd have the perfect motorcycle by now. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Uh, well, that yeah. that uh, 2011 uh, YZF250 uh, left a little bit to be desired in the fact that it was still carbureted. Um, but uh, yeah, since they flipped the engine around on that thing, it's been hard to beat. Um, but uh, like, how soon did you start to see uh, the, the four-stroke roll into the, the shop? Because uh, obviously at Cowie uh, and Pro Circuit, uh, there was very little of that. And maybe you, you would have done a little bit of work on Yamahas with... Um, like the the four hundreds that had come out, but uh, what was that uh, transition for you like, and kind of uh, taking that on because it wasn't too long before I kind of mentioned that uh, a guy like um, Larocco was racing the the four fifty outdoors, and then uh, uh, you, uh, not only Ali Seymour but Kevin Rinder would come back to Hondas in 03 uh, on four strokes. Uh, well, actually, Rana was the first one to race it. Because yeah, right. Honda used their production reel in 2001 in the outdoors. So Rhino was the first one that that rode it. Um, and then, you know, it took Ricky a couple of years. He didn't really, he's still like that two-stroke. Um, and there was some tension down there between the Japanese engineers, the two-stroke, four-strokes. But once we, I, I can't remember what year it was, and we heard that, you know, they're not going to make any more two-strokes after a certain date. And, and uh, you know, that was when you started to see all the four-stroke stuff you know, really wow. come through and, and and go from there. You know, I remember, uh, what year was it? 
well, it had to be 04, because I left a note at the end of 04, when they'd hired, you know, McGrath and Honda had kind of patched it up a little bit, and he'd come back as a test rider, and, you know, the two-stroke guys were throwing everything at the wall to try and keep it alive, and, you know, for Ricky to ride that two-stroke in, in, you know, four in outdoors, but it, it just, you know, the four-strokes had too much power. And there's just so many more moving parts that you can make lighter, faster, better. You know, that's why they make so much more power. Oh, for sure. It eventually became, uh, as far as uh, a marketplace, we, we bought in completely. It was like a, wasn't like, I, I raced a, a KX125 in 04, and by 06, like 250Fs were, like, you had to have one. If, if you weren't on one, you weren't competitive. Uh, which I think actually uh, that that is almost it hasn't changed now, but I think that people are more in tune with the fact that it's the the person at the controls rather than uh, the bike itself that makes the biggest difference. Um, but um, like working with the team, and, and then eventually you you uh, head back to uh, to Oz, and uh, that that was a big change for you. What what spurred that, and uh, and eventually what brought you back? Um, I was, I, I had, a, I had a son that was born here and, you know, we wanted him to, to grow up in Australia and, you know, different schools and culture and that sort of stuff. So I went back there and I started my own business. Um, and yeah, just doing, um, you know, basically what PC do where engine suspension and it was a, it was an aftermarket company. Um, I had a relationship with Honda Australia where I used to do all their press bikes, all their magazine bikes for a while. And then I ended up. Uh, ran, had a supermoto team through those guys, and then we had a Honda team uh, for several years. Um, obviously, there's not much budget down there, so it was quite tough running those guys. I see. Yeah. Um, we won some races. You know, we beat some of the factory teams at times. Uh, we did that for a fair few years. I was in partnership uh, in the race team with a guy called Mark Horton. Uh, we here in the truck, and we did all the work. And then right at the end, we did. A, a year with Kawasaki, but by then, you know, everything had, um, you know, the backside had fallen out of the economy in Australia. It was quite tough. So, and then, um, yeah, started to look around at something else to, to do that. And, um, you know, this thing popped back up at Geico. So, I uh, decided to take that on. Well, there you go. And and back mm. in your home country uh, and, and enjoying that, obviously, you'd been away for a while, but nothing like going home. And, uh, and I, I gotta ask, like you, you, you've like, Australia has had a long, uh, lineage of turning out great talent, including of course, Chad Reed. Um, but, uh, like guys like Danny Ham, like did you work with guys like that and how closely did you work with, uh, with those types of athletes, uh, once you went back and also before you left in the first place? Uh, yeah, Hammy, Hammy's a good friend of mine. I've known Hammy for a long time. He actually rode supermoto for me and he rode motocross and supercross for me, but okay. he got hurt. Um, Hammy, he had more talent than anybody. <laughs> You'll kill me when I say that. <laughs> um, but no, he was a good guy. Probably, you know, just life in general. Um, uh, but he, even to this day, he's still got talent. You know, you watch him ride, you go, how, how did he never not be a world champion? Uh, but he's a great guy. Um, you know, I had I had uh, guys like Cody Mackey. Um, who else do we have? I think now uh, Michael Addison from Western Australia. He was an awesome kid and family. Um, uh, Adam Monia. Well, you know, all those guys won races at times. You know, we had two fifties and four fifties. Uh, had a couple of young kids like Kieran Hall that still race today. Um, you know, all that we helped all those kids through the line. There's a there's a young kid. The last kid we helped, a kid called Caleb Ward. Did some time in Europe uh, last year or the year before. 
Uh, he won a lot of races for us, um, and he's still. I think he's riding Huskies this year. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of talent out of there. I, I don't, you know, like our, we we all grew up together with Chad and and all those guys. I mean, you know, he was just on another level, right? And and when you see some of the practice tracks that he rode on, I mean, they weren't groomed. There was tree ruts hanging out. There was rocks hanging out. I mean, he just rode. Yeah. Simple as that. That was it. School you know, of hard knocks. Termination. What about a guy like uh, Andrew McFarland, uh, the late Andrew McFarland, who was uh, a great talent in his own right? Yeah, he was from uh, he was from Queensland. I never really got to know him that okay. well. Uh, as he came through, um, I kind of left Australia, so I didn't um, have a great deal to do with him at all. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, again, he was actually when I went back. I mean, I was there the day that he passed. It was a Broadford. Um, I mean, he again, he had some talent as well. That's um. Sure, you betcha. Uh, so what what ends up bringing you back? And obviously, uh, your fellow countryman uh, Kibby kind of held things down uh, over at uh, at um, Geico for a long period of time, and still mm-hmm. does. Um, like, uh, what what was what brought you back to now? I guess we can kind of inform people what you're doing now, which is uh, uh, working with uh, Geico. Uh, I mean, again, it was Dan Bentley that kind of put it all together. That, you know, this position come up about, um, you know, this Honda was bringing out this new 18250 and they needed someone, you know, that could liaise with Honda and Japan a little bit, which I'd been there before. So, um, yeah, we teed all that up and, you know, got that all running last year. And, you know, obviously, you know, Kibby is, is the one with, with the brains behind all the engine stuff for sure. Um, and I just, you know, work side by side with him and, you know, work on some other stuff. Uh, do a lot of fab and a lot of machining work as well, because that's what it was by trade. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had hired when I left in 2004. I had hired Kiwi to, to somewhat do the role that I did, but you know, he he was employed by Factory Connection with Guy Canada, and which we're going to look at it. And then you know, he's done an awesome job, and he's he's kept it running all these years. So yeah, it's kind of where it's up to today. For sure. And so what does the future look like for Hoppo? Uh, do, first of all, do you think that we're going to uh, to see more posts on your Instagram, which if you're not following Hoppo Hoppo uh, already, you should, um, because there's lots of cone pipe goodness that way. Um, and because um, like you, you got to post more of those things, man. They're so beautiful. Um, yeah. And, yeah, um, what does the future hold for you? Um, I'm thinking about building one for my CR500. Yeah. But, um, it's a little a little hard to build them in the garage. Okay. The neighbors might complain. Uh, <laughs> um, maybe I'll post tomorrow when I, I go to, uh, to here and ride my 500. I might do a post for you. How's that sound? Fair enough. So, what about uh, hmm. uh, your good friend Dave Feeney? He probably doesn't build pipes nearly as well as you do. Um, I know he's got a 500 that he probably wants a cone pipe for. Or did you build him one yet? No, no, no. Like I'm not set up here at the moment to build them. Um, like I said, you know, I've only got a small garage where I'm at, so it's a bit, it's a bit, you know, it's a very noisy environment to do it. And you know, there's a fair few tools that you need. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. And it's like, yeah, I could probably knock one of these out in a weekend or something like that. Um, but yeah, I rode with Dave last weekend. We went to Kia again. You know, I rode 500s for the day. So 
I yeah. saw that he got out uh, enjoying his two th- uh, his throttle therapy. Uh, always good to see. Yep. Uh, Dave, Dave's always a great guy to talk to. Every time I get a chance to, to go see him at the races, uh, I, I take advantage of it because he's just good people. Um, and, and I guess that's one of my last questions for you. You've been in the sport for so long, uh, over uh, over twenty two years, uh, well well mm-hmm. over twenty two years. Um, who are some of the, the kind of like the best characters and some of the, the best like lifelong friends that you've, you've built in, in the sport of motocross? Because motocross probably more than any other, um, industry is, is so much about relationships and, and good people. And uh, there are some not so great people, but the people who really stand out definitely do make it all worthwhile. Oh, you know, you know, Dave Finney is one of them and we've been friends since, you know, for nearly thirty odd years, I think now if I count back that far. Um, I mean, there was, I think everyone I worked with was, was always good. Um, you know, there's guys like Shane Drew that I worked with at American Honda that works for Yamaha. I mean, him and I sat on the ninety one every day. We we solved many of the problems of the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, again, Ian from Roger when they were at Suzuki. I mean, you know, those Wednesdays, you know, listening to Roger talk about all his stories in Europe. Um, you know, they're all good people. Um, even the guys I work with now, there's you know, they're all good guys. I mean, Kimmy's an awesome guy, you know, there's there's Mick Fallon's that him and I grew up in Newcastle together and he's one of our engine guys. Um, you know, there's all they're all good friends. I mean, I, I can walk into nearly any truck and talk to anybody or or have had a relationship with someone along the line somewhere. Awesome, so, man. Well, uh hmm. this has been a very informative podcast and uh what I need to do now is listen to it back and then come up with all the other questions that uh, I yeah, didn't sure. get a chance to ask you this uh, th- this yeah. afternoon. But uh, this has been super informative, super fun, and uh, I-, I hope this was a great way to cap off your uh, uh, your weekend. Or your, your, yeah, your for week. sure. No, it's been awesome. I- I've enjoyed it. We can do it again. Awesome, man. Well, I- I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I thank you so much for giving me the time tonight. Don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we'll uh, we'll cut it off right there. All right. Thank you.